we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have decided to go where no man has gone before. Well, no, that's not true. Everyone's gone here before. We're going to be talking about geek news. Everyone's talking about it. There, it, it seems like every day there is something new and exciting in the geek world that is being thrown out on the internet. Uh, you know, especially with DC uh, recently doing their DC fandom, uh, or excuse me, fandom, uh, where they just released a whole bunch of amazing things. There's been talk about the new PS5. There's been talk about this. There's been talk about that. And well, there's just so much talk that we've decided we're going to talk about that. All of it. We're going to try to cram all that in this episode. You know, whether that's good, whether that's bad, whether we missed something. Well, we're sorry if we missed something that you wanted to talk about, but we didn't. But that's kind of your fault for not telling us you wanted to hear from that. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Uh, there's just so much it's hard to pick and choose from. So we're going to do our best uh, to throw out there what we think should be talked about. Because uh, there's just a lot of things right now. It seems like the world is in flux. Uh with with culture and with things going the way they are due to covid you know like this year has just sucked for conventions yeah it has and you know and i I am amazed i I appreciate the fact that dc comics put together this dc fandom they did something pretty awesome you know they didn't have san diego comic-con to announce all this really cool stuff that's come out so they did this it was interesting how they did it and you know a lot of conventions out there are kind of doing virtual stuff uh which for me, isn't as fun. It's not as fun. It's not as entertaining because you see people sitting in their houses and they're doing their best not to talk over each other, but it's really hard. You know, at least when you're at a panel at a convention, you can see visual cues, people are raising their hands, stuff like that. So it is a little bit more difficult, but at least something is still happening. Um, So I appreciate all that. So let's jump in. Where are we going to start with the world that is Geek news. Uh, I know that sounds kind of bland and boring, but yes. I mean, my recommendation is start where everything always starts. DC politics. Uh, DC politics. That that is to say DC comics. (laughs) Uh, That was well played. But yeah, uh, have you guys heard? I mean, I'm sure you have, but there's a lot to keep track of. Uh, All of the craziness around uh, uh, graphic novels and comic books in print where they're being distributed, how they're being distributed going forward, all the changes that have happened organizationally inside of Warner brothers. Yeah. Actually, no, I have not heard about that. Yeah. I saw the article. I didn't have time to go and read through it, but I do know that there's some major changes going on there. Yeah. So this is something that is very, very relevant to my world, spending a ton of time and time in and around game stores. Um, So uh, there are a very limited number of comic distributors and really, one of the biggest boys of them all is Diamond Comics, yep. uh, who also owns Alliance Game Distribution. At any rate, um, when all of the crazy COVIDness started, uh, Diamond decided to just kind of like call it off. <laughs> um, uh, basically, just gave all of their manufacturers and all of their partners 24 hours notice and shut down their warehouse. And... Um, the the scuttlebutt, right? This is not confirmed, but the scuttlebutt is that there were some back and forth between some people at Diamond and some people at DC, uh, basically saying, like, you're just going to have to wait for us to reopen because you need us more than we need you. 
And so DC uh, started to pump some ads out on the internet and actually had a more profitable quarter. Uh, after everything was said and done, the margins on a digital book are so much better and all of their graphic novels could also easily be distributed to places like Barnes and Noble and et cetera, who then doubled down knowing that they weren't competing for as much space. And so part of the announcement is that um, they're severing ties with Diamond Comics entirely. So you will no longer... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, which is really going to hurt Diamond. Um, you know. Oh, yeah. We, we, well, it's kind of a dumb move in their opinion. Oh, we, you need us more than we need you. I'm sorry. No business relationship should ever be at that point where it's like, hey, without us, you're no one. Because the way things are now, it's really easy to circumnavigate a company and do it yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, and again, so that's the scuttlebutt, right? Allegedly, that's what happened. Um, but seeing as how in the last couple of years we've seen similar situations crop up with a lot of their um, game manufacturing partners, uh, it's not that far from what is expected. Uh, so DC has said outright that as far as physical media goes, um, they're only going to do very, very limited releases of individual issues, and they're going to be shifting their focus almost entirely to graphic novels going forward, selling directly uh, to larger chains like Barnes & Noble. Um, that means that your friendly local game store or comic book store only has so many months left that they'll actually be able to serve you comics without finding some other arrangement. And for most small game shops and comic shops, that's just not really going to be an option. Um, so a lot of people have already made the move to digital and it looks like it's only going to continue to happen. If you want the physical thing, be prepared to buy them as anthologies and larger novels. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, like I grew up in the eighties with being able to go to Seven Eleven or even like dedicated comic book stores that you'd have like these spinner racks, uh, that, that are meant for like magazines and those specifically designed for comic books because of their unique dimensions. And you could just go through and thumb through these things. And the idea was that you would collect them at release, try to find the best condition copy, uh, buy it, keep it in a storage bag. Uh, an archival bag and keep it like in a in a drawer or something like that where you would keep all your there was something about collecting it piecemeal that was beautiful and wonderful. Could you imagine something like I mean I mean I, I realize jumping media probably ruins the analogy a little bit, but could you imagine collecting Pokemon cards, for example, or any CCG where it was like well, we've got these new cards and, and we've got these new rules and that's great, but you can't buy any of them until we anthologize them, but you can look at them online. And it's like, but then that kind of, that ruins the economy of, of the thing that ruins the, that ruins part of the experience of the thing. I'm not one, my kids love those silly little useless toys from the store that are blind bag toys because it's not about the toy that's inside. It's about not knowing what toy is inside. And so then you have like this whole process of I'm going to open up this pouch and I have this much chance of getting this rare or this ultra rare. And the same thing is true of CCGs where it's like you're going to get five commons, one uncommon or, or two uncommons and one rare. And that rare could be a rare or an ultra rare or whatever. There, there's this whole process to it, right? And comic books, if, if you think about it, follow a, a similar concept in that we're going it, – it's up to you to purchase each of the volumes as they are released. If we anthologize them and release them as a book with a pre-order date and everything, it loses all of that mystique and all of that magic. And I, I just don't know how I feel about it. You still get the same content, so I can't argue that. But I think that the experience 
diminishes. Of course, the publication costs are probably much different and, and the risk factor is lower. So I guess there's that for the comic industry. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this just yet. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Well, you know, and that's really the interesting thing is it, it changes the dynamic a lot, very much to your point of collectability, but also just the way that things are consumed, shared, right? Um, for a long time, comic books were very reticent to go online because of the ease of being able to pass around a password or, you know, share a PDF illegally, things like that. Um, and now they're kind of realizing that it costs them far less to do, even if all the theft in the world happens, they're making a lot of money. Um, that is and true. We're, and we're seeing as a lot of this shift is happening elsewhere in the industry too, uh, not only in, in print media, but also in physical gaming. Uh, another excellent example, more and more publishers are selling directly to consumers via Amazon or their own websites. Um, very fortunately, many publishers are still trying to work with their local game stores directly. Um, because they realize that there's a lot of value in the sharing of media. And that is one of the things that concerns me about, you know, the way that some of these physical media are moving, because being able to have a physical comic book and gather around with your friends and, you know, read it together and talk about what's going on, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, just the same way that, you know, I can play uh, Splendor on my phone, for example, with my in-laws, which, you know, if we're, if we're separated, yeah, that's a nice thing. But when we're all physically in the same room together, there is a different feel to being able to handle pieces and cards and, you know, the smell of printer's ink and all kinds of different things. Yeah. I don't know where that's necessarily going to lead. Um, but that being said, uh, hand in hand with that, we were seeing a lot of movement inside of Warner brothers, um, whole teams, let go, people moved around, promoted, demoted, moved to completely different departments. And uh, Warner Brothers has announced that they are specifically looking for somebody with a background in esports to come and head up DC Comics, which so is a weird thing. But that's not the only DC news. What's some of the other stuff you guys have heard? Well, I mean, before we move over, I mean, see, this. I don't. I, I hate ebooks. Um, <laughs> I was just about to touch know, on that. I know people are gonna, you know, kind of probably call me out on it, but I hate it. I don't like them because I love holding a book in my hand. I love turning the pages. You know, yes, they've added the sound, but it's still not the same when you're swiping. Not only that, I found that it actually reading a book on my iPad or my phone, my eyes get tired faster. And I get worn out faster. And, and I hate that experience. Not only that, you know, depending on the day, like today, you know, it's pretty warm. If I were to sit outside and try to read my book, the my iPad or my device gets hot in my hand. And it gets uncomfortable. A book wouldn't do that. Um, so moving, I, I've kind of moved away from the actual buying the comics one at a time. And maybe that's why they're making the shift as well, because people are going to the anthologies. Um, and just waiting a little bit longer. But there was something exciting and fascinating about running down and getting the next issue, you know, waiting, you know, that whole month. Um, but this is really going to affect comic book stores. 
uh, and how they do those because you know they they've been expecting that monthly revenue that keeps coming in and if that goes and it's just going to be you know anthologies they're going to have to turn to find some other way to continue to bring in that monthly revenue and that income and i don't know if there is a good way i mean game stores i can see you know games are going to be coming out they're 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 still going to survive whether they're selling monthly comics or not but for those mom and pop or those small game stores out there i really think this is going to be a game changer it's going to hurt them uh, but they start doing really well dc does i can see where marvel's going to swap to that really quickly um and if that goes well for Marvel, we're going to see Star Wars, Star Wars comics, all the Disney comics, and everything follow suit because, well, you know, Disney owns all of them. But going all online, I, I get it's going to be cheaper for them, but at the same time, I think they need to find a way to be able to still get those those monthly issues out in a form other than electronics because there are still a lot of people out there that don't like having it electronically i know i have friends that love it that way but i just so i don't have comics or whatever uh whatever those uh, other apps are that allow you to to view comics online i just i dislike it yeah yeah i you know maybe maybe we're we're touching on a subject that should be an entire episode unto itself but on the whole idea of like physical book versus virtual book um, I've actually been reading I, I I was the same way, especially in the very beginning where it's like, why would I especially with like Kindles? Why would I buy a dedicated device to read books when I could just buy the book and I like the feel of a book in my hand? And I, I this might be a generational thing, to be frank, like we're we're of an older generation. And so we grew up with books our whole lives and now books are going into a digital format. Well, now we've got a new generation where books have been largely digital for a lot of people as well as physical, but not as physical, you know, whatever. Um I do love having a physical book in my hand, but I've gotten more and more accustomed to reading digital books. And and I think it kind of depends on what kind of book it is, but I do have an ever-growing Kindle library uh, that I just use the Kindle app on my tablet or on my phone. And I have an ever-growing library there of various books that I really don't mind reading uh, and I can read it at night with my lamp off because it's a backlit screen and things like that. So I've gotten more used to it, but I definitely hear what you're saying. And when I go on vacation and stuff, I like to bring a physical book, not just my tablet. And then the final note on that is, you know, there, one of my all-time favorite books is one is a book called One Second After. And it's based on the very real-world possibility of a nuclear EMP going off that wipes out the electronics across all of America. And that would mean that all of my digital objects all of my digital books all of my uh, my tablet my my phone my laptop all of it would cease to function anything with a circuit would cease to function if it wasn't protected by a faraday cage or something to that effect and um, i don't know about you but i don't tend to lock my electronics inside of a faraday cage when i go to bed at night so uh the the reason i bring that up is i often have this thought in my head of what happens if all electronics go down how will i then have access to this element of media that is important to me and so i tend to buy physical books because you can't emp those yeah. but that's that's just sort of like for my that's sort of like where my brain goes if i have the option between a physical copy and a digital copy i tend to go physical but i'm not opposed to digital in many cases so i don't know i do think we should pursue this as a bigger episode i agree i agree i think we should put the cherry on top of that one and move on <laughs> 
Yeah, because I, 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 I'm sorry to say we probably could talk about it quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's episode worthy. It's episode worthy. So I guess to that end, uh, Dan, Dan, what is your, hey, have you heard piece of news? Well, I mean, there's so much that's gone out. I mean, so much. There's, you know, the, the trailer dropped for the Batman, um, which. And, and it looks really good. It looks it really does good. Look good. I do have some concerns with Robert Pattinson playing uh, Batman, but at the same time, he is a good actor. Um, the costume weird is weirding me out a little bit, but I might be able to look past that. Um, so far from what I've seen, it has potential. I, it's not enough that I'm going to say, wow, no, I'm not going to see this. Um, but honestly, I'm more excited. I, I, and that's cool, but I'm more excited about seeing the Snyder cut of the Justice League. Yeah. Um, watching the trailer for the Snyder Cut, it, I enjoyed the Justice League movie, but it just seemed weird. It didn't seem cohesive. You know, and we know it it really wasn't because, you know, we had Zack Snyder's version and then we, Josh Whedon came in and changed things up and Warner Brothers meddled some uh, and then we got what we got. I really want to see his cut because we have Dark Seed in it. It makes Batman versus Superman make sense, um, which I'm hoping it does. You know, because we had that really weird scene where, you know, Barry appears before Batman, but nothing comes out of that. It's like, what the heck? Uh, I'm really hoping that comes to comes to fruition. We see a little bit more, um, and I really want to see a good solid Justice League movie. Which I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful with seeing that trailer. Now, what does that mean for all of us? I mean, definitely uh, Ben Affleck's returning as Batman. Uh, for the Flash movie. Uh, Michael Keaton is showing up in same said Batman movie, or the Flash movie. And so is Grant Gustav, that's been playing the Flash for quite a while on the CW. Um, And we saw Ezra's version of the Flash show up in the uh, crossover event, Crisis on Infinite Earth. So I would really like to see... I mean, they're really trying to build a multiverse. I mean, we've seen that on TV, but I really feel like they're trying to bring the TV world and the movie world together in a way. And, you know, as well as all these movies that ex- existed out there, because Warner Brothers has always kind of existed in this. We can't have all of our movies connected type thing. They're all separate. Well, Marvel showed, yeah, that, no, we can make that happen. You know, everything's connected. But we don't really have to show it. But Warner's kind of taking that, Brothers is kind of taking that a step further, saying, we're, not only are we going to say that it's connected through the multiverse, we're going to show it. And I think they did a good job with Crisis on Infinite Earths. They could have done it a little bit better, and I'm hoping they do that in the movies. But I'm excited. I'm excited to see Michael Keaton return as Batman. You know, uh, in honor of that, I watched the, the very first uh, Tim Burton Batman with Michael Keaton in it was fun. It's still enjoyable. I really still enjoy that movie. Granted, I realize he doesn't have as much flexibility in his neck because of the way the cowl is designed 
unlike some of the later versions, you know, like Christian Bell's. So you, you see him kind of turning more and not having a lot of flexibility there. But still, it's still a good, solid movie. Uh, Jack Nicholson playing the Joker, fantastic. Really, I, I, I love his version of, of that character. Um, so I am excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see what DC is going to put out. They're, they're throwing a lot at us right now. Uh, you know, we've got the Batman. We've got this, the Snyder Cut coming for Justice League. We have a new Suicide Squad movie coming out. Uh, we have a, a Gotham Knights, a new Batman game. We've got a Suicide Squad game coming out. Um, so uh, there's just so much. I, uh, you know. The uh, Man of Tomorrow, the new Superman uh, movie is out. Uh, DC Animation is out right now. Uh, it wasn't supposed to come out till next week, but they threw it out early. So it's... They're really doing some stuff over at DC. I, I don't know... Yeah, It's taken some time to get some traction, but I think they're really gaining some, some traction here. You know, Marvel has definitely been ahead of the game for a while. But I think if DC can pull off the Batman, if they can pull off the Suicide Squad, from what I'm seeing, it's a huge all-star cast. Um, they can pull these off, these movies off. And the, the Snyder Cut does really well. I could really see DC finally getting a foothold in superhero movies. I totally hear that. I, I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about this and that... Um... That, you know, I yeah, the the Marvel universe of of films has in the last 10 years been setting sort of the precedent of all superhero films. Mm -hmm. And in truth, many of the DC films that have come out have not lived up to it. However, if you take the all the Batman movies as a whole, if you take every single Batman movie and put it into the same group together, the majority of those films are hailed as really good films especially as superhero films, they're great films mm -hmm. and not all of them. It's not perfect, but you know, uh, in fact, I, I thought it was funny that the, the series of Batman films that was kicked off by 80, by Tim Burton's 89 film, um, went like, as they added more films to the series, it, the films themselves got progressively worse, but the soundtracks got progressively cooler. Um, and all thanks to Danny Elfman. Yeah, well, Danny Elfman in the first two, but then when we get to Batman Forever, it was like this rock and roll anthology album. That's true. And, and then uh, Batman and Robin, the only redeeming thing about that film was the soundtrack uh, with some Smashing Pumpkins in there. But anyway, uh, but, but Batman films in general have been some of the best superhero films in history. Um, and Christopher Nolan's Batman series is undeniably a force to be reckoned with, right? Like it's, it's phenomenal what he did with the Batman mythos. Um, and you, you mentioned Robert Pattinson. I remember when the dark Knight was being filmed, when it was in production and they were doing certain things with social media to let you know kind of what was going on, but they didn't want to show you too much. And so it was known that Heath Ledger 
was cast as the Joker. And I remember the first time I heard that and I thought, what, why, why would you take such a pretty boy like that? Such a, such a pop culture icon and give him such a brooding, psychologically difficult role. Like how do we trust him with something like that? And I remember just being completely negative about it. And then I remember the very first time I saw an image and really what it was, they had, um, it was one of the scenes from the bank heist in the very beginning of the film. And they had, um, the sort of like fogged glass uh, that you'll see in partitions between bank teller or like um, like uh, agent cubicles, you know, for privacy. And they they had Heath Ledger in his makeup behind that glass doing a scene. And so you couldn't really see him, but you could see sort of like um, his silhouette, his form and a little bit of the color was was uh, seep- seeping through. And I remember just seeing that blurry image of him as the Joker, the way that he stood, the way that the way that he was leaning into the moment. And I thought, oh, holy crap, this could be great. And sure enough, to this day, um, and I think only emphasized by his passing, but um, his portrayal of the Joker, which I believe won an Oscar, uh, like it has changed the whole definition of that character like that is an iconic portrayal of the joker and now we've got robert pattinson i think he kind of suffers from the same problem where robert pattinson is a very talented actor he's done some really good stuff but what he's best known for is his worst work and and and, and it's not really his fault as a good actor he did exactly as he was directed same thing could be said of Kristen stewart who i gave guff to for a long time but i'm realizing she's actually a very talented actress who was under a bad director uh, she was directed poorly. And so what she's best known for is her worst work. But now we've got Robert Pattinson and I've seen the trailer and there's the, they, 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 they saw fit to throw in one action scene to the trailer and it is excellent. Just the action in that moment is exceptional. I cannot wait to see what he does with this character. I, I've, my heart is open. My mind is open. I'm willing to let Robert Pattinson be an amazing Bruce Wayne and an amazing Batman. No, I mean, I agree. Um, there, there have been moments where we've had casting. I, I remember when they, you know, the news came out, they casted Keaton as Batman. And everyone's like, what? Oh, yeah. Seriously? Beetlejuice? I mean, this guy, the guy's crazy. Mr. Mom? Like, and yeah, I mean, he did a fantastic, fantastic job. Um, so, I mean, you know, even Ben Affleck. People were like, really? Ben Affleck? What? What? Um, but I, again, I really feel like he's one of my favorite Batmans, and, and maybe I'll, I'm going to get some slack. But I think he did a fantastic job with the way he I do too. the character. Um, you know, I, I will say out of all the, the iterations of the Joker, Jared Leto's is my is my least favorite. I don't Agreed. feel like he really had the opportunity to conceptualize the Joker. I feel like it was way too off base, but that's okay. Um, I think he was, I think he was pigeonholed. I think that he was, they were up against the, um, the shadow of Heath Ledger's Joker and they felt required to do something different, which I don't disagree with, but I think they took it to a really strange place and they really didn't, they, they didn't capture it properly. Correct. You're right. You know, it was that, you know, how do, how do we go with this character? We don't want it to be Heath Ledger's character, but we want, want you to make it your own so uh you know he did his best but it is it was kind of a crappy situation you know so it it is what it is however um i have 
I have an open mind uh, towards this new Batman series, uh, and I do hope it goes well. But I would love, because of the Snyder Cut, to see more of Ben Affleck as Batman. I would, you know, and, and maybe that will open things up because there's going to be these split worlds. Um, you know, I haven't really enjoyed Henry Cavill as Superman, but there hasn't been a good replacement, to be honest. Uh, the guy playing Superman in, in the Supergirl series, I, I, I'm not a fan of. I don't uh, buy him as Superman. He just doesn't look the part, uh, which is sad. Um, you know, Brandon Routh as Superman. Man, I, I loved him as Superman. I feel like if you're going to redo the Superman shows, here's a guy that almost looks like Christopher Reeves. Here's a guy that gets yeah. character. He acts goofy and bumbly when he's Clark Kent. And when he's Superman, he looks like Superman. You know, even seeing him put the suit back on for the Crisis on Infinite Earths, man, that was awesome to see. Um, you know, I, I've watched him as Ray Palmer, but to see him actually as Superman again was just great. It was fantastic. Um, I'm with you. I actually liked Brendan Routh as as Superman and as Clark Kent. Um, and you're right. There were times there were even times like when he was talking to Lois, he's like, hey, Lois. And just the way that he said it, I was like, oh, my gosh, for a brief moment there, that was Christopher Reeves. Right. And it's just yeah. like um, I, I liked him. For his physical portrayal. And I. Uh, Re- Superman Returns was okay. It wasn't great but it was okay. Um, I I think the airplane catching scene. Was probably the best scene in the whole movie. And it was right at the front of the film. Um, but I, I politely disagree with you. About Henry Cavill. Because I I love him as Superman. I, I love Man of Steel. I think that movie is. The best Superman movie to come out. Since Superman 1 with Christopher Reeves. I think. I think that movie is right up there with the Christopher Reeve first first film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Superman series that spanned the late 70s to the early 80s, or the late 80s, I should say, uh, it had its moments and it also had its weird weirdness, but it was iconic and beautiful and amazing what they did with one and two, in my opinion. Uh, Man of Steel with Henry Cavill, I loved. I loved that Superman was flawed. If anything, I thought Lois Lane suffered from sort of the modern politics uh, outside of the film. I think that her character was kind of hybridized and bastardized by the intent of, of certain people in, in positions of power who wanted to um, sort of answer the political zeitgeist. But um, that said, uh, I I really liked Man of Steel. In fact, I, I often find myself desiring to watch it again. So I, I like Henry. I like uh, good old Hank. I like Henry as <laughs> as Superman. And if he ever hears me calling him Hank, he will never be my friend. Uh, well, here, here's my here's my problem with his character, and and, and I realize it's not him. And, and the reason I'm not a fan of him is really because of the, the portrayal of him. His version of Superman is more of a blunt object. You know, he, he we see him just pounding away. Uh, it's not really the character I'm used to. Like, you know, with Christopher Reeves, fighting and punching was a last resort. He tried to talk down. He tried to reason first um, before he had to to fight it out. Whereas, you know, like that scene where the terrorist has has Lois and has a gun to her head and he slams down in and just looks and then just pounds the guy through walls. It's like, really? 
there's no other option here, you know. Um, so that's kind of where I, I really struggle with his character. Um, but I, there, there are possibilities. There are definitely other possibilities. So I'm, I'm not completely out the door, but it's definitely not one of my favorite versions of the character. I hear that. But you know, one thing that I am excited for. Tell me. Snyder cut. I just sent an image to you yeah. of something that could be just beautifully uh, taken care of in any number of meaningful ways. <laughs> the weird upper lip. Oh my gosh. The weird upper lip is horrible. Uh, you know, so, so here's the thing. I just don't get why they thought that was a good idea. I, I, I understand that he was working on the Mission Impossible movie with Par- Paramount. He needed the mustache, and they refused to let that, him shave it off so that he could film. But really, did Paramount need to go to that stretch? It's not like they can't create a fake mustache to put on him. Um, it's not like you couldn't <laughs> grow it back either. Or, I don't know. There's just so yeah. many weird things. Or, you know, you, you hire a couple of grad students who are familiar with After Effects and, yeah. you know, See, let them take it for right? a while. Yeah. Because, because there, are, there are a number of YouTube creators who took the exact same scenes and they did some deep fakes on them because the technology is there. And it was like, look, man, with my, with my laptop from Best Buy, I was able to do it like this. How is it possible that Hollywood, with all of its resources, could not do this better? Um, and I think the answer is they hired the wrong artist because like I, I, the same thing kind of goes with like there are certain Disney films with live action animation or like live action CG that just don't look as good as other non-Disney studios doing the exact same thing in the same period of time. Uh, and, it's, and it's mind boggling to me. And, and if anything, it's probably just cost cutting um, because they just want to do something at a certain rate of speed or they they don't feel the necessity to it, it's the good enough principle that's ah, good enough plus we're disney we can get away with this and they often do uh i think the same thing kind of applies here the whole weird upper lip thing you you had to know that they saw that while they were doing it and they're like no it's good enough keep going yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's wow it's wow right um, and, and by the way, for anyone who does, Dan kind of hit on it, but for anyone who doesn't know, Henry Cavill had to have a mustache while he was filming Justice League and, uh, or Batman versus The reshoots, Superman. the reshoots yeah. specifically. The reshoots. And, uh, because he'd already moved on to another film project and because he already had filmed some scenes with that mustache, it would not be good for that film for him to shave it off, try to grow it back or shave it off and use a fake one. And, but he had a responsibility to the DC film. And so he came back to do that. And he frankly refused to shave off his mustache because he couldn't. Uh, and so they're like, oh, we'll fix it in post, which by the way, if you know anything about filmmaking, that is a great way to sign your own death warrant. But like, they're like, oh, we'll fix it in post. And they, they surely did not, they surely did not fix it in post. They made it worse. But anyway, anyway, that's another story for another time. Another I just episode. want to see Henry Cavill's beautiful face again, gents. He does Regardless have a beautiful of how face. we he feel about him. everything. Oh, yeah. I, look, look, okay. I'm, I don't mind just proclaiming out loud that that I am absolutely uh, my orientation is as straight as an arrow. And I totally get that. But that doesn't stop me from having like legit man crushes. And Henry Cavill, man, my gosh, that guy man crush on him. He's amazing. I will watch anything he is in because he's a great actor and he's just it's phenomenal what he does with his physical facility. He's amazing. 
100%. So, what else are you guys hearing about this week? Well, now it's my turn for the Hey, Have You Heard? Uh, Okay, look, I'm not one for rumors. I actually hate rumors, especially in the tech field, in the tech industry. My uh, my focus and expertise in in our trio here, my expertise is the tech side. Um, And we all share, we all have like a a Venn diagram of of our interests and our expertise. Um, But but I definitely hold the crown on the tech side. And um, I hate rumors when it comes to technology because they can sh- the, the facts can change on a dime. Uh, and so I try to be very, very careful with those things. I actually despise YouTube creators who make entire channels successful purely on speculation or their thoughts about something. But they'll, they'll use titles that sound like absolute fact. And it's just them guessing at things. It makes me nuts. But that said, we are at an unprecedented time uh we in in the age of covid it has it has had so many wide sweeping impacts on the world and that uh, that the tech industry is not exempt from this uh normally when we are in a generational transition in consoles when we go from ps2 to ps3 or when we go from xbox 360 to xbox one or when we go from gamecube to disposable play, to an absolute travesty, to the recovering switch, right? It, no opinions here. But anyway, the point is, uh, when, when we do stuff like that, when we're in that year of transition, there is there, there tends to be a pattern. And there has been a pattern established every five to seven years. There has been a pattern established both by Sony and by Microsoft, and for a time there, by Nintendo, uh, where there would be like this life cycle, right? And what would happen is that they would, they would announce that a new generation was coming of you know the year prior or even two years prior to it actually launching and then every year at E3 they would reveal a lot more information until we got to the release year itself when at E3 or Tokyo Game Show or something to that effect they would reveal not only the system itself in in its final form but also its release date and its price point and pre-orders would begin right uh we we went through pieces of that process and now we are we are in a year where this this is where the hey have you heard uh, comes in uh hey have you heard that sony this week reaffirmed as they uh, as some put it for the last time uh they have reaffirmed yet again that they are launching ps5 holiday season this year holiday season encompasses october through december it's typically november so uh, they have said, yes, we are coming out with PS5 in November. Months ago, a couple months ago, the news came out that they increased their production uh, load from 6 million units to 9 million units. So they increased their production goal by 50%, which is not nothing. That is huge, especially in the time of COVID where you have production limitations, right? Yeah. Uh, so they've said, we're going we're gonna to make 9 million units because of demand. And uh, we are really at the end of this year. We are now in August, almost, we're, we're, we're toward the latter half of August. We're approaching September. And we still don't have a confirmed release date. And we still don't have a confirmed price. But there are people on the inside and in the know who have started leaking pieces of information to which they have access. And now none of this is confirmed. And I usually stay away from rumors. But we're at a point now where rumors are closer to fact because of where we are in the in the timeline. And I, from two different sources, and, and those sources haven't been backed by other sources, 
there are two possible release dates that sound like they would be pretty on par. One of them is November 13th. One of them is November 20th. Interesting that they're exactly a week apart. I think that that creates a window uh, that is reasonable and respectable. And considering that PS5 must drop, if it's going to do well, it must drop before the Christmas massive shopping season. It seems to me like, uh, especially just prior to Black Friday, somewhere in that window makes a ton of sense. Again, unconfirmed, but more and more people are coming forward with information about this. And I think that between the 13th and the 20th of November seems reasonable. Pre-orders are still not open, so we don't know. The other thing that's on top of that is that uh, the price point for the optical drive version, remember that PS5 comes in two flavors, comes with an optical drive and without. The without is called the purely digital version, right? The digital the digital console. And so you've got PS5 and PS5 digital. And uh, right now the price the price points kind of fluctuate, but I do agree with these estimations or with these, with these rumors because um, they kind of fit the predictive model. But uh, they are saying, they are, the rumors are, that the optical version will be 500, the digital version will be 400. I would, I actually would think that the digital would be more like 450. Uh, but the point is that we're looking at a $500 price point, which every reliable resource also predicts that will be the case, like Forbes and things like that. They're all like, uh, price point-wise, it's going to be somewhere in here. We all agree with that. Um, interestingly, now, again... Still rumor here, and I'm not sure what to say about this given the posturing of both Microsoft and Sony. But they're saying, uh, first of all, Xbox Series X, I'll call it Series X for short. Uh, Series X, recently it was it was leaked. There was an image of a controller box that included the notion of a Series S. So there's a Series X model and a Series S model. Microsoft has already confirmed that they're going to have the Series X and then a quote-unquote uh, less or let's see what is it more affordable or less expensive model that will launch alongside of it that will have very similar capabilities but slightly reduced in certain areas and so you've got two different versions of xbox coming out allegedly you've got two different versions of ps5 coming out that's confirmed uh and but, oh go ahead but but what about a third more expensive model a third more I'd, expensive I'd, model. i'd really like to have an xs uh, yes that, that that's called a p a pc all right, <laughs> but uh, but the Series X is coming, and for a while there, uh, PlayStation was like, we will release, uh, we want to wait and hear what Xbox is going to do with their price point before we announce ours. Microsoft, a couple weeks later, did exactly the same thing. We, we, are, uh, we, we have an idea of what we're going to do with the release date and with the price point, but we are awaiting uh, Sony to make sure that we can remain as competitive as possible. So these, these two companies have been playing chicken with each other as we approach the launch date. And I have thoughts on why that is, but anyway, they've been playing chicken with each other. And now we're at a point where one of them has to blink. One of them has to announce a price, especially, and I think this is brilliant one way or the other, but especially because the rumor accompanying series X is that its price point is $600. Now I'll go on record and say, I don't think that's going to be the actual price point. But the rumor itself is interesting because I think it's going to force the hand. Um, we could talk about the history of PS3 and when it launched for $600 and how its launch window was incredibly weak. We could talk about how the economy at that time is different than the economy now. We could talk about all that stuff, right? That, that That's a whole other episode by itself. But what I like about this rumor, even though I hate rumors, what I like about this rumor is that Microsoft is either going to have to um, – 
disappoint the fan base by confirming this is their price or they're going to have to come out with lots of fanfare and explosive advertising showing that it's not the price point that it's actually $500 which then gives the green light and now we can move into pre-orders and all that stuff so this has been this has been the have you heard that I've been most interested in is sort of like this chicken off between Sony and Microsoft about the launch of their of their consoles and given that we're almost in September and pre-orders have got to start I think we are going to hear release news before the month is out i think we will hear something we'll hear something official possibly this coming week uh for those of you who who are listening to this episode i'm talking about the week that ends on the 30th so i think we might hear something this sony said something in their in their tweets about big news coming in a couple weeks and that was uh over a week ago so i think we might hear something this week at the latest next by the start of september we should know release dates and pr- possibly price points, maybe even get some pre-orders because they've got to start. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting, the, the console stuff. I, I hate to say this, but I'm kind of sick of it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really no, annoying. I, I get that. You know, uh, it's like, okay, I just finally build my collection, my game collection to a point where, wow, you know, like with my PS4, like, wow, I actually have a decent game collection now. And now there's a new console coming out. So now I have the question, you know, especially with Final Fantasy VII Remake, it's not a full game. I paid $60 for a third of a game. I, I think the fan base got ripped off on that one, especially waiting like almost 10 years for that to happen. And so now the question is, is... Will they release that game on PS4 as well, as well as 5? Or now do I have to get a PS5 to finish that entire game, which I think is just a joke and annoying. I am so glad that you asked about that. Uh, It ends up that right now, you know, if, if you've watched any of the release footage of, like, upcoming games for the next generation, first of all, that population has been a bit slimmer than it has been in times past, again, due to COVID, blah, blah, blah. But Microsoft is doing this thing where the games that are coming out for Series X uh, must also be compatible with uh, Xbox One. And, of course, they have this uh, cross-platform sort of play-anywhere concept with PC and Xbox, which is which is a brilliant move on their part. But the problem is when you have a game that straddles generations, it has to perform properly at the lowest common denominator. So you can't fully exercise the potential of the hardware unless you do a ton of parallel programming and it's really weird and blah, 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 right? Like we can get into the technical aspects of it, but the point is um, if you've noticed any Series X games out there, they don't really appear to be that much of a generational leap. Um, and the same thing is true of, of PS5 games to a certain degree, to a certain degree. What we're seeing though is that the the generational difference between Xbox One and Series X and PS4 and PS5 is not as much in the graphics and is far more in the performance and the power. But Xbox is purposely making their games cross-compatible with uh, Xbox One and Series X, thus uh, or I guess, yeah, yeah, it, it, you, you buy one game and then it works on both, but that means that they have to code to the lowest common denominator. PlayStation is taking sort of the opposite approach, which is they're going to have a PS5 version and a PS4 version, and you can buy either or. With that said, Ubisoft has set a great example. They just came out and said that that uh, the three major titles that they're releasing that will straddle the generations, that would be uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and... Uh, Watch Dogs Legions and Far Cry 6 
All of those are going to be released on PS4 and PS5, but if you pre-order the PS4 version, since PS5 is still confirmed to be fully PS4 backwards compatible, you can pop your PS4 disc into your PS5 and Ubisoft will give you the PS5 version digitally for free. So you can wow. buy the PS4 version, play it on PS4, put it in your PS5, get the upgrade for free, which I think is genius. Yeah. And it makes it so they don't have to code to the lowest common denominator. You know, I, I actually really I, I have to give credit where credit is due. I recognize the game. Good job, Ubisoft. You, you made a good call. Uh, assuming that everything arrives in reasonable, non-buggy state. But I do think yeah. that is the right call. And the one thing that I do think all of us can agree on is that whatever console it came out on, Kodor HD Remake. <laughs> Kodor, uh, you, you're, wait, 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 did you say Call of Duty? No, Kotor, Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, buddy. yes. Yeah. I thought you said, yeah, I misunderstood. Knights of the Old Republic, yes, please. I think everybody has wanted that for like a decade and a half now. You know, yeah. well, we got we got an upgrade for uh, you know Final Fantasy VII. We should totally get one for Kotor. Oh, but was that... it an upgrade? Was it? Uh, I think so. I, I mean, mean I... graphically, graphically, yes. But the point that you made was brilliant, which is you paid full price for a portion of a game, yeah. a game that has already been released in times past, has already been played through, came as a whole game before, and now it's like, and and I don't know if you remember all the years leading up to this release. But, I mean, they've been talking about a Final Fantasy VII remake for years and years. And then it finally drops. And it's like, and here's just the first part. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, you're right. As a game, I, I did like it. I liked the, the updates. I liked the changes. It was beautifully done. Um, but the thing is, is I paid more for this third of the game than I did for the original game that I got the entirety of the game. Um, Originally. That's not the case yeah. now. If you try to buy a black label Final Fantasy 7 PS1 game, yeah. that is a different story now. Yeah, yeah. But um, but I did like it. I did enjoy the game. I did enjoy the additional content that they gave out. Uh, the, the additional storyline. Uh, I think they did a fantastic job. I just wish they did, had not broken it up. Because I purchased the game expecting an, a full game, and I only got a partial game. That that bite. Um, I hear that. Now, if they were to do the same thing with Kotor, where we get the full game, it's a revamp and, and an update. That would be amazing, and I would yes. love it. And I and I'm pretty sure they would. And they could even sell it as Star Wars Legends. Okay. It doesn't yeah. have to be an official part of. Uh, it doesn't have to be like new canon. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but it's just insanity that you spend this much time and then give your you know, the people a partial game. No, I agree. I agree. That was a, that was a that was a very uh, that was a very interesting move. Um, yeah. But you know, just to just to put the cherry on top with the with the whole um, cross generational comment earlier, uh, one thing I do want to throw in there just really fast with the Ubisoft move. They did something else very interesting in the, at that moment. And I don't know if this is still the case. I haven't gone and checked. But um, when I when I first saw that announcement, uh, it came in tandem with the fact that the PS4 versions of all three of those games, as pre-orders, 
were marked down $10 to be 50 bucks instead of 60. So you could buy the PS4 version for $10 cheaper than the PS5 version and you would get both versions. And I was like, you guys are brilliant. This is, this is too genius. This is, this is too much. And by the way, I immediately went out and pre-ordered Valhalla, which I'd been meaning to do anyway, but it was the perfect time to do it. So I don't know. I don't know if that is still the case. I don't know if they're still on sale, but I went to Amazon to make my pre-order because uh, that's where the sale price was. And sure enough, it was 50 instead of 60. And I'm like, uh, yes, yes, I'm doing this right now. Thank you. So, yeah, so that is my have you heard. And we're up against our hour. We're up against our hour here. Wow. Um, yeah. So like fascinating. new. There is there is so much going on. In the, in the geek world right now, there is a yeah. million, there are a million things going on, especially in response to the pandemic because of how it's shifting everything. But we're also seeing some really clever solutions to never before seen problems. Like I oh. love, I, I actually really like the, I, I'm with you, Dan. I don't think that virtual conventions are as effective as in-person conventions. But what I do like about them is that the vast majority of them have been going on for free to encourage a larger participation. I've been seeing more conventions going on now than I think existed last year. In other words, I've been seeing other events I've never even heard of before, but now I'm hearing of them. And uh, and I think some of them are firsts. Uh, stuff that's really interesting, like Sony did a whole photography convention and I love Sony photo equipment and stuff. That's just my flavor. But um, but they did this whole thing uh, and, and uh, some other, some other companies that I have tons of respect for, they've been holding some new conventions all virtually. And I'm like, wow, that's, wouldn't that be interesting if going forward conventions that are held live are also held virtually for those who can't attend for some reason. What if that was the new normal? And I think that's kind of awesome. I like that. No, I, I think definitely think uh, it would be really cool to, to see those types of things. Um, I for the purpose of people that can't can't go, um, it has been nice that we've at least had something. But there's something you kind of lose out on, you know, when it's just the panels you pay attention to. You know, that's true. There is you know, that's the one thing when I go to Comic Con, FanX, uh, Gen Con, or whatever, is I'm wandering down the aisles and I find something I didn't know before. I find a game or an artist or or something that's like, wow, this is amazing. And I pick it up because it's just all virtual panels. We don't have that opportunity. Uh, you know, there have been several pieces of artwork that had I not been strolling down the aisle, I would never have found. There have been games like at Gen Con. Had I been not been just strolling down the aisle, I never would have known because, you know, they're they're a company on the east coast or they don't have a mate they're not part of a major distribution ring you wouldn't find them in a normal store or even in a game store and then you find a hidden gem i mean that's the one thing i think is always amazing uh is these hidden gems you find when going to these conventions let alone meeting other people like-minded people that you can sit and chat with and have conversations kind of like we do with the podcast um so those are opportunities that are missed by it being virtual. As far as content, yeah, there is nothing more annoying than standing in line at San Diego Comic-Con at 3 in the morning so that you can get in to you know, see the, the new Marvel 
panel or the Star Wars panel or whatever the big thing is that day. And then it closes 10 people in front of you and you can't get in. Because you've wasted an entire day of doing other things to stand in line for that one panel. Uh, let alone you've lost sleep or tried to sleep on the cement floor or whatever. So doing it virtually gives you that opportunity to be able to do that. I like that part of it. I think that's fantastic. Um, there's just some weird, you know, and these are going to evolve. You know, with COVID, that's it's put some changes. So we're going to see some things evolve, uh, some things change. Uh, definitely, if any of those, you know, conventions out there want Dungeon Crawlers to be part of their uh, their lineup for virtual stuff, we'll totally do it. Uh, so, anyways, I, yeah, there's our plug. I don't know where else to go because there's just so much to talk about. We could have a whole other episode. Uh, well, and for alone. those of you who have found us as a hidden Easter egg on the internet, we appreciate your patronage. And you should yes. definitely be sending us the topics that you would like us to talk about because there is a whole wide world of news out there that, you know, we only have so much time to talk about in every episode. So if you didn't hear the thing that you wanted to hear about today, send us an email. Absolutely. Yes, emails are always appreciated. They help us know exactly what you want to hear. Because, well, let's, let's just put it that way. We don't know everything. We don't know everything you want to hear. We try to pick out what we believe you'd like to hear out of the things we know. Uh, so if we can get more focused attention, we'd love to hear that. You can uh, email us at info at DungeonCrawlersRadio.com or go to DungeonCrawlersRadio.com, click on Contact Us, send it to us that way, and we'll talk about that. So... With that said, we're out of here. And tell your story, whatever may come. And always remember, my dear internet, to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you always.